Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 35, Wonder Woman and the Amazons with Greg Rucka. Guys, I've been planning ah! this. I've been planning this for so long, since last October, and I'm so glad you are finally going to listen to this thing. So Greg Rucka is the writer of Wonder Woman. Yes. He writes Wonder Woman he for DC. He writes the Rebirth series of Wonder Woman. And we are so freaking pumped to have him on the show talking about the mythology of comic books, the mythology of Wonder Woman, about the Amazons, about, as a writer, how he like adapts actual mythology to writing in this world. And his own experience growing up loving mythology. Yeah, and also the like hella queer nature of Wonder Woman, which you know that I am here for. Yeah, man is totally here for that. This is like a perfect present Julia's given me. Um, so we're going to start out this episode with some background information on the Amazons in mythology, as well as the origins of Wonder Woman and kind of where Greg came into the comic series. And then you'll be able to listen to this incredible interview with Greg. Yeah, we talk about like fuckboys in Greek mythology, Wonder Woman's queerness, like I said, and what is next for the DC universe, mm-hmm. like what he's kind of doing to the actual what, mythology. What, uh, what grounds he's trying to lay for the mythology. I know, and like what a cool... Uh, career and like industry too to like oh, yeah. just constantly like leave little threads for future people to pick up on. I love it. It's great. It's so much fun. Uh, so we love this episode and if you do too it would be amazing if you could share it on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you find cool stuff. And speaking of heroes like that segue Jules? Yeah. Uh, welcome to the newest members of our Patreon family. Taylor, Judy, and Emily welcome aboard. And thanks to Jess, Derek, Paige, Deborah, and Darvla who upgraded their pledges. Yeah guys thank you so much for upgrading. We are really really excited to be doing live streams now with our $10 and $15 patrons so if you want to hang with us and have us answer your questions and talk about whatever topics you want, read poems, whatever, uh, you can definitely hit us up on Patreon. But thank you, four million jillion thank yous to our supporting producer level patrons. Leanne, Shannon, Phil, Catherine, Christina, MCF, Megan, Sarah, Katie, Derek, and Deborah. You powerful warrior children of Zeus. Love it. Uh, two more bits of housekeeping, y'all. First, we are working on merch. Oh my God, merch. Oh my God, merch. Uh, if you or someone you know is a super talented designer, please get in touch with us. We're looking to commission a couple different shirts and tote bags. Maybe kind of creepy, kind of cool. We'll or see where it goes. And um, in addition to like the logoed t-shirts and things. So we are spiritspodcast at gmail.com or at spiritspodcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And this week's recommendations, we actually both have the same one for you? We do. Amanda is starting a new podcast. Yay! Not, not that she's leaving spirits um, no, or no, anything. No, no, never, no, no. Never. Unacceptable. Never. I am, I am polyamorous with, with these podcasts. Thank you. Um, but I am starting a new show and it is called Join the Party. It's a collaborative storytelling and role-playing podcast where I sit down with three friends to create a story together, chapter by chapter, which we tell live to you on air. There may be dungeons, possibly dragons. We are starting out with a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, but wait, don't be scared. We are designing this podcast specifically to be fun and interesting and educational for people who have never done any kind of role-playing game before, which I haven't, while still being true to the game that experienced players know and love. I know, we uh, just started doing Dungeons & Dragons this year, and we love it so much. We love it so much, and like never ha- had anyone teach it to us when we were younger, so being able to hopefully bring new people into this world. If you listen to Spirits, you're going to love this podcast. You know, join us. You're really, really going to like it. I had a lot of fun kind of acting as a creative consultant yeah. uh, with our dear friend, Eric Silver, uh, who let me basically ruin his religion. Yeah, um, set up the mythology and the religion of yeah. this world. If you want to hear more from Eric, he is in episode eight of Spirits, The Golem, and he is an amazing storyteller and a lot of fun and just an all around cool person. Yeah, we are creating this incredibly fun world that we get to just play in and like make stories about. Um, and if you've never, like I said, done any kind of 
gaming like this or listen to any kind of dandy podcasts, that's totally cool. We're going to be releasing some special episodes just for beginners. Episodes one and two are going to have a like tool tips um, kind of voiceover where I'll pause the game every few minutes and tell you what actually happened, what a roll is, what a critical hit is, what a check is, stuff that again. Did you want to get a critical hit in your first episode? Uh, we did. We got three. Damn, I damn know, girl. I that's know. some good dice. The fates are with us. Uh, so Amanda, where can people find Join the Party? Uh, thank you very much for reinforcing my brand here, Julia. You're welcome. Um, so you can subscribe to join the party in any podcast app follow us on at join the party pod on any social media twitter facebook instagram and you can read more about our characters about uh, the people i'm doing the show with and sign up for our email list at join the party all these links are below amanda's playing an elvish rogue and it's funny as hell uh yeah, yeah. i'm like a cool flippy assassin teen it's very exciting. <laughs> You're a teen? Oh, no, I'm a teenager. Oh. I, I get to, like, relive my, my teenage angst glory days. It's super fun. You were no rogue we have, as a teen. No, I was not. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to live out that alternate reality, okay. that flashpoint. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Listen to the episode. It's a joke. Um, so that's about it, right? Yeah, that's it. So y'all enjoy Spirits Podcast episode 35, Wonder Woman and the Amazons with Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka! Greg Rucka! We're talking about Wonder Woman today, and I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of feedback, a little bit of information about Wonder Woman and the Amazons. Yeah, I don't actually know much about her. All I know is the kind of outfit, the lasso. There's, was there an invisible plane? Yes. Okay, all right. Just make, the invisible uh, jet. Good job. Sure. I'm very proud of you. Nice. Making sure I didn't make that up uh, from uh, from my my girl, Ab Horson. Gotta make a Garth Nix reference in every episode. Just, <laughs> just moving past it. But yeah, so tell tell me, I know, are the Amazons real? Like, is that a dumb question? We'll talk about it a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, uh, so in Greek mythology, the Amazons are a race of warrior women. Uh, they're usually located according to different sources, either in the Ukraine or Iran. The name Amazons... Historically? Is, yes. Um, oh, okay. Based on Greek historians, they place oh, them in these areas. I see. So the name Amazon is thought to come from two different roots. One is the old Persian word Hamazan or Hamazana, which is warriors or to make war. Makes sense. Um, and they, these were like fierce ladies with like battle axes and like riding in on horses and stuff, right? Hell yeah. So the Greek derivative is thought to mean manless or without husbands, but that's been disproven. Oh, good. I was I was making a bit of an I eye at the iPad I know, here. I know you are. <laughs> um, in the Iliad, they are known as the Antonarii or those who fight like men. Okay. Which I'm kind of into that. All right. Um, so a little bit like, you know, play like a girl, play like a boy. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's okay. Unless you're defined by your badassery, I'm cool with that. It's pretty, I mean, for the Greeks, that's pretty good. We've talked about the, <laughs> the Greeks are not good at this. They're not. Um, so according to some myths, no men were permitted to have sexual encounters or even reside in Amazon country. In order to maintain their population once a year, the Amazons would visit the Garagarians, which were a neighboring tribe. The male children who were born from this visit were either killed, sent back to their fathers, or exposed to the wilderness to fend for themselves. Okay. Uh, girls were kept and raised by the Amazon mothers who taught them agriculture, hunting, and the art of war. I'm not, like, pro-killing babies, for the record, but, like, it's nice to hear the opposite of that yes. instead of, like, the girl child being, like, left, to, you know, in a river or some or some sand. Our, our standards are low right now. Standards are super low. So other stories uh, say that men who survived battles with Amazons were taken as slaves and used to keep the population stable. Uh, also not a fan of that, but, again, it's sort of interesting to see the, the, you know, normal kind of gendered version of that tale inverted. It's almost like the most extreme, like, boys camp, girls camp across the lake situation mm-hmm. that you've ever seen. It's, it's basically 
basically the episode of Parks and Rec with the uh, the Swanson Boy Scouts and the oh, yeah. Pawnee goddesses. Yes. Basically. Um, so one of the main stories that heavily features the Amazons is the labors of Hercules. Okay. Do you know anything about the labors of Hercules? Nothing. Okay, so basically Hercules fucks up, he kills his wife and children, um, and has oh, to no. make it up to the gods by going through these trials. Okay. So one of these trials is he's tasked with obtaining the girdle of Hippolyta, who is the queen of the Amazons. Lol, and, good luck. And that was given to her by her father, Ares, the god of war. So Hercules takes a bunch of friends with him. He sails off to Themyscira, which is the land of the Amazons. Nice. Uh, Hippolyta is actually super into Hercules. He's a kind of impressive dude and he's a warrior and she actually agrees to give him the belt. But Hera, you know, being Hera and wants him to fail, uh, disguises herself and tells the Amazons that Hercules is planning on stealing their queen. Ooh. So the Amazon warriors pursue Hercules on horseback. Hercules thinks Hippolyta double-crosses him, then kills Hippolyta, takes the belt, flees the land. That's a pretty, that's a pretty shitty, like, you know, women hating women and like jealousy based tale. Well, that's what Hera's all about though. Yeah. Hera's all about the, oh, Zeus is having sex with this woman, so I must turn her into a cow. She's like the most covetous. Yeah. For sure. She's, jealousy is her defining trait. Okay, all right. No, it's not great. It's not great. I'll let it slide. We're going to get to Wonder Woman soon. (laughs) Let's talk about the historical ideas of the Amazons really quick. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Herodotus a little bit during the interview with Greg. So yes. I just want to give a little context for that. So the Herodotus historical reflections on the Amazons said that they observed ancient maternal customs, hunting on horseback with their husbands, going to war, wearing the same dress as men, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so the women were said that they could not marry until they killed a man in battle, Whoa. which I'm all about. Um, Hippocrates, who is a different dude from Herodotus. Yeah, so so Herodotus basically, like, wrote a bunch of histories mm-hmm. about, you know, at, at his moment, like, the history before that. Most of them weren't true. Most of them were not true. <laughs> uh, because he was sort of like, these are some stories I've heard, and now they're history. <laughs> it's, it's basically, oh, uh, what's the dude? Marco Polo. Marco Polo just heard a bunch of stories and then came back to Europe and was like, here's what it's here's like in stories. Asia. <laughs> yeah, but instead, instead of us knowing what actually was happening in those lands, because Marco, you know, wasn't so long ago, mm-hmm. uh, this is like one of the only historical things we have from Herodotus. So it's sort of like your senile grandfather telling you a bunch of stories and like some of them maybe have some truth. And so you're like, okay, grandpa, like, please keep talking to me. So yeah. Then there's Hippocrates. Um, and he claimed that they had no right breasts that when they were babies, the mothers would cauterize the skin. So the growth would be arrested so that they could what, like have a sword belt or uh, an for archery. archery. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so specific that that makes me think, there might have been some truth to that. Maybe, but also there's been plenty of studies proven that the breast doesn't impede on pulling back a bow. Oh, I'm sure, but it just as like a kind of ritualistic and like traditional thing. Right, and apparently the muscle that would have gone to the breast actually goes to the arm and shoulder instead. I assume just so that it's not lumpy, not, yeah. not because it's not... Uh... Uh, muscled. I know. It's, I don't know. It seems silly to me. Who knows? But um, badass is the point and committed. Right. A little bit more about them. The Amazon River is named uh, by Francisco de Oriana after the tribe of warlike women. Nice. Um, which he supposedly encountered on the Amazon River and was like, these are the Amazons. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, according to medieval historians, the Amazons created the battle axe. Whoa. Which I think is kind of cool. Um, the battle axe is so efficient, it, it must have been created by women. Yeah, of course. In modern times, there's a group in the Ukraine known as Asgarda, who claim to be the new tribe of Amazons, and claim that the Amazons are their direct descendants, which makes sense, because we just said they were either from Ukraine or Iran. Yeah. Um, and so they 
teach the group a martial art that is based off of a technique called combat hopak. Hmm. Uh, and the group is like 150 women. Whoa. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. They even have an Amazon village museum that's set up in their village. Um, next time we're in Ukraine, that's where go. we're going. And all that is background to Wonder Woman. And I kind of want to give background on what Greg Rucka specifically has been doing with Wonder Woman. And it has a, lot, a little bit of comic book history. So bear with me for a little bit. Um, you mean lean in closer. Okay. This is fascinating. So DC is doing a series right now called Rebirth. And basically what it is, it is merging two timelines that previously existed in the DC universe that were separated by the Flashpoint story in 2011. Okay. Basically, Barry Allen, aka The Flash, wakes up in a different timeline and has to go back in time and try and change things back to the way they were. In doing so, he severely alters the timeline, creating what is known as the New 52. So it's sort of like an alternate reality within the DC universe yes. where different things happen to different characters. Right. Um, so in Rebirth, the timelines from pre-Flashpoint and the new 52 are merged together, creating a dual reality that is existing concurrently. Does Wonder Woman from those two timelines meet herself? Like, how does that work? No, it's just the two realities have merged together. So, like, stuff from each of them is true? Yes. Uh, so, basically, what is happening right now is Wonder Woman series is going into her origin story, which is being told every other comic mm -hmm. uh, called the Year One series. Uh, which basically tells her new origin based on the re uh, the rebirth timeline. Got it. So like best of both and sort of retelling her from the beginning. Right, exactly. So now anyone who knows anything about Wonder Woman does know that she is the princess of the Amazons. Nice. Um, they are a woman tribe. So obviously you would think that like romantic and sexual relationships are established in that sort of world. Uh, but DC has not been super explicit about it until Greg Rucka came in and basically said, Wonder Woman is queer. Yay! Everyone knows that. And so we were really excited to have him on. But let's talk a little bit about the history of Wonder Woman, not Greg Rucka Wonder Woman, but just how she was created. So she was created in the 1940s. Um, her creator was actually a dude named William Moulton Marston. Um, and it was co-created with his wife, Elizabeth Holloway Marston. Oh, nice. Um, who were polyamorous. What? And Wonder Woman was actually inspired by their live-in girlfriend named <gasps> Olive. What? Yep. That's so good. Um, In the 40s? Yeah. Oh my God. They were also super into BDSM, which is why you get a lot of bondage <gasps> instances with Wonder Woman, including what? the lasso, etc. Um, also, he invented the uh, lie detector, which is why she has lasso a lasso of, of truth. truth. Yep. What? Oh. So many things here. So many things. If, if one of them was true, I would have been amazed. Whoa. Yeah. In the 40s. Yeah, in the 40s. I'm guilty of, of thinking about all people in the past as just like figures who like, you know, uh, were born, married, had kids and died. But sure. Like, but like they got up to some shit and yeah. I love that so much. Okay, so... What we need to know about Wonder Woman is her origin really starts, in the 1940s at least, with her discovering a World War II soldier who washed up on the island of Themyscira. Oh, like in their, in their like paradise yes. bubble. Yes, and the, Amazon, the Amazons live in isolation from the world yeah. in the DC comics. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it it's a paradise <laughs> island. Yeah. And so Diana, who is, that's her real name, she's not just, her name was not Wonder Woman. <laughs> I guess I never thought about that. Diana, okay. Um, she is the 
the daughter of Zeus and the Amazon's queen, Hippolyta, which oh, we shit. talked about a little bit. What parentage? Um, also, if you recognize the name Hippolyta, it's because uh, Shakespeare. Yep. I was going to be like, Shakespeare used it, but oh, you can no. get to it. We have done and seen Midsummer way too many times. <laughs> so this makes her a demigoddess, which is super cool. Because she is Zeus's child. Yeah. And so does she have like powers over regular Amazons? Um, she has normal Amazon powers and then she's gifted with powers from the gods, including flight and super strength, etc. Cool. Um, which she actually in the Rebirth series gets after she leaves the mascara. Oh, wow. Um, so the assumption is this character who lived on an island full of women was just waiting for a dude to wash up on the shores, which is incredibly stupid. Basically, Diana really leaves the island because she is given this diplomatic mission. And this is such an honor to her as a yeah. warrior that she's able to go into the world of men and fight alongside these people. For sure. And this is World War II. So obviously we're very focused on battle during this period. Yeah. And like the world needs some intervention, yeah. you know, so it makes total sense for like the princess, right. For like, mm -hmm. like the daughter of, of the queen and of Zeus uh, to, you know, kind of be their emissary out into the world to, you know, share the light and fight for justice and all of that. And based on what we discussed with Greg, it seems like people think that she just like saw the first man that washed up and was like, F this, I'm out of here. Goodbye, Amazons. Out into the terrible, fractured, chemical warfare world of men. Like, that's not the thing. No, she had a duty she had to do. Yeah. She wasn't leaving for dick, as Greg will <laughs> tell us later. Listen, guys, we, we don't drop so much profanity, but in this case, like, this, this joke is worth it. Just wait for it. Exactly. Uh, so that is where we leave Wonder Woman right now in the Rebirth series. Nice. Um, she does a little bit of fighting gods and stuff. She fights Ares, I think, in the series pretty early on. Cool. And I, I just love it. Um, but Greg Rocco will, but Greg Rocco will talk to us a little bit more about the more nuanced areas of Wonder Woman. And we're excited to bring you that interview. So we're joined today by personally one of my favorite comic book writers of all time, uh, Greg Rucka, who is currently writing the Rebirth Wonder Woman series, which is excellent. You've heard me praise it on the podcast before. So Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, we met last year at Comic-Con, and it's great that uh, we finally got to sit down and have a conversation about Wonder Woman and the Amazons. It's going to be great. Okay, um, so I guess... How I kind of want to start this off is I want to know how you got into the Wonder Woman lore, how you got into Greek mythology in general. I suspect, uh, you know, I, I had read some mythology growing up. I, I know for a fact that when I uh, was starting high school, I went to a private Episcopal college prep. And the meeting list when I entered in, in eighth grade uh, you had a summer reading list, and, and one of the one of the things on that list I remember was even that was actually my first mythology book too. Yeah, though I know I know I had encountered the myths probably in far more uh, watered down forms prior to that. And then you know I'm 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 a I'm a role playing gamer. I'm a tabletop gamer. So you, you don't play D and D and not in some way uh, connect with Greek mythology. I just I'm not sure. I, I don't know if anybody's done that dissertation, but <laughs> I'm pretty certain the one leads to the other. Oh, yeah. We actually just started our own D&D &D campaign yeah. like a couple months ago. So, and, and the more we learn, the more we dig into mythology on spirits, the more I realize that like human beings are telling so many similar stories over and over. And there are so many roots in Greek mythology for the stories that we know and love today. Yes, absolutely. And, and I suppose you could argue that 
the root of those the, those Greek myths run even further back, you know, that, yep. that we have lost with the oral tradition, where those stories were born. You know, comics are modern myth. That's, you know, the, 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 the English lit guy in me looks at them and goes, yes, this is what we are, you know, participating in. This is our... This is our modern extension of this of this continuity of this continuum of this kind of storytelling. It's it's clear when you look back at, at a lot of the ancient Greek texts that there is an element of uh, social propaganda at work. That you know it's clear that there is at a certain point and in certain stories a morality that is attempting that they are attempting to promote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definite right conduct and yeah. consequences for erring from that path. Exactly, for, for, for society. Don't have sex with your parents, for instance. Uh, Always a good choice. And I don't, you know, I, I, so I, it's, it's harder, I think, today, you know, in 2017, to, to look and say, well, what does the myth need to be about? Are we drilling down on something specifically societal when, it, in point of fact, we're always talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. Um and in many ways, we just end up finding a new way to to say it or trying to. But one can argue that we, you know, there's there's the great I think it's Fitzgerald. There's a there's a Fitzgerald quote that is, that goes, "There are only two stories: Jack and the Beanstalk and Cinderella." And yeah. that's <laughs> it. Everything. It's yeah. just a question of how you tell it and how you dress it up. Mm-hmm. So. Was there a myth that you really um, found yourself, I don't know, resonating with you early on when you were first discovering these? I, it's funny because now that, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember seeing the original Clash of the Titans in, in the movie. <laughs> the classic one with the mechanical owl, of course. Yes. Um, I was always, there, there are certain myths that I've always gravitated towards. I just find more and more fascinating and, and, and the older I get and sort of as you get to the mature reader's version of them, they become <laughs> even more interesting, I think. I've always thought that, that Perseus's story was, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had incredible sympathy for Medusa. Oh, yeah. you, you have to. She yeah. has such a sad story and then her story ends with a dude coming into her house and chopping her head off. Well, and you just talk about, I mean, she, she is the object lesson for the last thing you want is a God's attention. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? I mean, it just never ends well. Um, she did nothing wrong. Yep. And in point of fact, did everything right. You know, <laughs> and it was like, you really can't. She was targeted in a temple. Like she was there. She was trying oh, to do it right. There's nothing she could do. And she's faithful. You know, she's yeah. there. She, she, it's not as if she was just, it, it's it's the equivalent of, of going in and seducing a nun, you know. <laughs> it truly is. Uh, yeah, it truly is. But okay, well, here's 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 poor Medusa, you know, who by every definition of good person is, and then just I mean, just it goes downhill so badly. So I've always <laughs> I've always had incredible sympathy for her, Icarus. Uh, always a good one. I, I've always and I and I have a, a memory of encountering Icarus fairly early. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. because the, the hubris lesson is, is an important one to give to precocious young children. Mm-hmm, for sure. I can see that. I, don't, I never went in for Hercules. Hercules never did it for me. Well, he did, you know, murder his wife and children yeah. in a mad rage. So maybe not the best yeah, role model. Of, he kind of shut, shut me out right at the start there. I found him hard mm-hmm. to empathize with. 
Um, you know what's a much cooler myth? The Amazons. Way, way better. Well, <laughs> again, depends on where you're standing. Um, from the lady side. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> from, from, the, from the Athenian male side, it kept you up all night. That's true. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Okay with that. Well, it, it was good on the scary bits. The problem was that when they stayed up and then they completely sexualized it, it was something else. Yeah, that's that's the problem that we kind of come into, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's a line in Wonder Woman 8 where Barbara Minerva is arguing with, with a colleague about the Amazons. And I believe it's her colleague who says they were a vamp- they're a vampire myth. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're this sexy taboo. Um, and there's a great amount of truth in that. You know, I mean, Herodotus, Herodotus didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Herodotus never knew what he was talking about. It was about. a yeah. dream, like, yeah. And I love that people turn and they go, well, he's the authority. And it's like, uh, yeah, but that's literally like saying Ted down on the corner who's shouting at you about, you know, the e- efficacy of his tinfoil hat as the authority on radio transmissions, you know, <laughs> the, the, the two do not necessarily go together. So that's true. It is so fascinating, though. What like what parts of those stories and what interpretations of those stories we have chosen to keep so central to humanity? You know, every time that we go into an, a new myth, and Julian mentions a detail that's really obscure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sort of try to look at it from a like anthropological perspective of like why have you know has this reading or have these certain details survived so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, and it goes back to the core, sort of, sort of what I was saying, you know, at the top, which is these are stories that speak to a, a relevance of the human condition and of of, of, of of us in society. So why do we keep coming back to these things, and why why these particular points um, sort of sort of ring up? It's funny, you know, because uh, when you were sort of baiting the hook and saying what what are your favorite myths and so on. I don't tend to think of the Amazons at this point as a myth. This is related to several things, really. Because the first time I wrote Diana, you know, which was 15 years ago, I really wanted to turn into uh, that the DCU Amazons of Themyscira were uh, derived from Herodotus's Amazons. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wanted to grant them that sort of martial history, I think. And at the time, and I remember arguing with Phil Jimenez at the time, who's also not just drawn but written Wonder Woman and has devoted many, many hours of his life to thinking about these things as well. You know, he was very quick to point out they're not supposed to be Herodotus's Amazons. Right. Now, Herodotus's Amazons, just to give some context to our listeners, um, that's much more of a balanced society instead of just the matriarchal. I think Herodotus was the one that was like, the Amazon woman couldn't marry until they had murdered a man in battle or something like that. Herodotus's Am- Amazons are walking vagina dentata. That's it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no other way to think of them. And I didn't want, and, and I hasten to say, you're talking to a guy who's, like I say, 15 years on. That's how I'm looking at them now. At the time, there were things there that I kind of I really wanted to grab onto the historical moment. And Phil, you know, argued they're not supposed to be. And it really wasn't until, you know, coming in for this run that I really understood what he was trying to tell me. 
because what he was trying to say, I think, and that I didn't hear because, you know, I was young and stupid and full of myself, <laughs> uh, was that Diana has to come from paradise. Right. Um, it is it is fundamental to the character. It, the, the root of that myth it has to be her growing up in paradise and then leaving. The, the historical record, in so much as we have one, and the mythological record, in so much as, thank you, Herodotus. Someone has to buy that guy a beer. Thank you for all you've done. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they, 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 they refute that. So it was important to me for this run to sort of set at what point can I, at what point can I have my cake and eat it too? Mm-hmm. Basically, can I have a Themyscira that is paradise? And can I also find a way to add that verisimilitude of, of these nomadic rampaging horsewomen, you know, who came, you know, potentially out of as far east as Mongolia and down through the Caucasus and, you know, were, uh, were perfectly happy to live the lifestyle they live. And that that myth is the myth that then the Greeks go, oh my God, women! <laughs> uh, or actually it's, oh my God, women with swords and they know how to use them! Uh, Shocker of the century. Again, like half fever dream, half just like your id shrivels up and you're oh super God. scared, you know? It, it, it is. I, I don't know how blue we can be, you know, on this jacket. <laughs> Uh, on our podcast here. No, but, go ahead. We're explicitly a drinking podcast, so, okay. you know, well, conversation you want here. Yes. You're, it's pure, it's softcore porn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's the equivalent of turning on Cinemax, you know, 10 years ago and watching, you know, any of these almost, it, any of these movies where people are having sex, but you don't actually see much more than tops. You know what I mean? Yep. That's what a lot of this reads like now. It reads like, here are these women and they're scary and they're powerful and, and they will take you and they will make you have sex with them. So you can have it guiltlessly. It'll be great. Right. <laughs> Sorry, know? honey. I, you know, I was at sword point. Like Exactly. I mean, what was I supposed to do? There were eight of them. I had she to said she needed all. children. Yeah. Yeah, that. truly. So trying to find in the current run, not that, but trying to find in the current run a way to let Themyscira be what it needs to be for Diana's purposes to serve that myth. Yeah. But at the same time, try to set up in the DC, DC mythology, there is a there are a group of Amazons who split off. And they're referred to as the Banamite all. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to sort of set the stage and say, so maybe we get these myths, these, these, these Herodotus-based myth, myths off of, off of the banner. The splinter right? group. Post, post-schism. So one of the things, actually, and I was setting this up in eight, and hopefully one day I'll have the opportunity to come back on the book and, mm-hmm. and chase it down, is that Barbara Ann thinks she's, thinks she's on the way, she's, she's trying to find Themyscira, but actually what happens is she's going the wrong direction. Uh-oh. <laughs> she's following the exodus. So, you know, she's following the group that left and then sort of created their own diaspora. And it's not until she reaches a certain point where, again, playing with mythology, Athena basically, you know, 
manifests and says, no, you, you turns her around. Basically, Athena usually has to step in. We usually yeah. need a competent woman to step in. <laughs> and, and, and Athena is always my favorite. Athena, yes, of course. I mean, everybody, yeah, everybody loves Athena, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> he's badass. Um, and she comes with an owl. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, that's just the best animal to have associated with you two. Owls are the best. They really well, are. It, it, it grants her uh, an immediate gravitas. It does. You know, if, if the wisest of, of the mythical animals is, is her familiar. I have a question for you, which I'm sure you probably get asked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually kind of, I was, I kind of fell off the DC wagon for a while before I got back into the Rebirth oh. series. Um, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but honestly, this interview that you did at the beginning of the series where you uh, came out and said, oh, Diana, definitely queer. That's what made me pick up the book again. In your historical understanding of the Amazons, why do you think queerness plays an important role, both in the historical context and in the modern day context? I will tell you my thinking with regards to Diana. Okay. Um, and, and it was very deliberate. Um, and it goes pretty much as follows. And there are sort of, sort of two parallel lines here. The first is that if it had been possible at the time when her creators first wrote her 75 years ago, there's no question she would have been queer. Yeah. There's just yeah, no question. A polyamorous, you know, kink-friendly couple. Yeah, for sure. There's just no doubt. So, number one, it's rooted in the DNA. Mm-hmm. All right. The society wasn't ready for it, but clearly her creators were. So that's on one. On the other is, and there's, I don't know how much calculation this sounds like. It goes back to the issue of Themyscira being paradise. Mm -hmm. And I cannot imagine a paradise that does not allow for, uh, a full and loving relationship between consenting people. I love that. Thank um, you. That's great. <laughs> and, and that further needs to be, it can be platonic, if platonic is what you want. It can be romantic, if romantic is what you need. And it can be sexual. And it can be any combination of these things. But there is something that we, Nicola Scott, who drew year one, and Liam Sharp, who has been the stalwart artist on both The Truth and the Lies throughout. And I did a signing in a comic book store uh, in Berkeley a little under a year ago. And one of the things that was said at that signing we were having a discussion was that no Amazon looks at another Amazon and says they are Amazoning wrong. (laughs) That's fair. Wow. I Um, love that. And and that – that's sort of the root of that paradise, right? So mm. if that's the truth of it, then there are plenty of, you know, there are roughly in the mythology of the DC of three to 5,000 Amazons living on Themyscira. Mm. And they've been there for thousands of years. And if they've been there for thousands of years, it is quite possible that some of them have never actually cared to be romantically involved with anybody. Yeah, it's yeah. Quite possible that several of them have been romantically involved with each other multiple times mm-hmm. and it's quite possible that there are viable polyamorous groups there and there are monogamous couples there and all of it has to work the society has to be able to negotiate that mm-hmm. and it has to be able to negotiate it in a positive way 
So Diana what? has to come out of that. If that's the paradise, then that's an element, right? That's her yeah. world. So that's that's one element. There's another element, and this is what I talk about calculation. Calculation, this comes up. There cannot be, when you talk about Diana's origin in 2017, any, you have to be deliberately misreading her story if you want to argue that she leaves the Mesquita because of Steve's arrival. Right. That's just right. a load of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't leave because she's found dick. Correlation <laughs> does not equal causation yeah. vis-a-vis yeah. uh, dick yes. ex machina. Yeah. Dick no, ex machina. So, yeah, I'm going uh, to be crude about it, but That's at the okay. end of the day, no magic penis is what makes her go, oh, I want to see the great big world. No. He wants to see the great big world. Steve opens the door. Her relationship with Steve needs to be sincere. Their love for each other has to be believable, but it is not the reason she leaves. Right. And that means to me that she has to have had for her to be who she who she's supposed to be. She has to have been able to love and be loved. Yeah. Right. And there's this whole there was a whole thing about, you know, whether or not she's a virgin and so on, like 15, 20 years ago. There's a whole tempest in a teacup about that. And it's absurd. Get rid of it. Nobody looks at Superman and goes, What's, what, when was the first time he had sex? Yeah, exactly. Such a double standard. It, it is. It's a gross double standard. And I really wanted to just get it all away. Just get rid of all of it. Mm-hmm. And the idea then that here's Wonder Woman, who's, you know, arguably her greatest superpower is love. One could argue it's compassion or, mm-hmm. you know, fealty to the truth or any. But one of the things in her portfolio for instance, is love. She loves. She has compassion. And she has empathy. And to imply that, therefore, she has never, you know, she was she was wrapped in cotton wool. Right. She bottled. She never looked at anybody with desire. She was never looked upon with desire. And that, you know, didn't respond to it. One of the problems you run into with Wonder Woman, and I did an interview this morning, and it came up. And you hear it over and over again. And I have, there's, I have a colleague of mine who wrote a story recently, and their argument for the story was like, well, she's too perfect. And I hate that. That's so dumb. I, I hate that. I hate the idea that her grace and her wisdom somehow makes her boring. Yeah. When in point of fact, what makes her heroic is her ability to be graceful and wise while being human. Yeah, And absolutely. that means we have to grant to her... And, and this will circle back to the Hercules thing, because as much as I don't like Hercules, I see that one of the things that's going on in the myth is he's incredibly flawed. Right. He is a flawed person, but he rises. Right. You know, Hercules' story is not um, Arachne's story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is Hercules didn't get up one day and the God said, hey, we're going to make trouble for you. Hercules kind of comes out of, uh, of the gate going, I'm here to make trouble. He comes right? in swinging. Yeah. And, you know, poor Arachne just gets up one day and she's pretty. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, 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 and Cupid goes because mom says I can't have that competition. You know, and, and, and Cupid then goes, oh, my God. Well, I guess Eros, I should say. Yes. Um, <laughs> goes, you know, I think I'm in love. Um, and then tries to have this thing, tries to protect her, you know, 
tries to tries to create a situation where what happens to mortals who, do, who are noticed by gods does not happen to her. And it backfires horribly. <laughs> Never works out. <laughs> exactly. But the, you know, the Diana's heroism, you have to believe in her. Mm-hmm. And that means we have to have those points of connection and contact. We have to understand, you know, that she has love and she loves. And I think portfolio is such a great word to use as well, because whenever, you know, we see in, in stories, the like one great love that changes it all, you know, that is compelling in a certain way, especially if you've experienced something like that. But, you know, without context, I think it's so much harder. Like if you have a whole context of like relationships that matter to you with lots of different people and lots of different ways, platonic, romantic, sexual combinations of various ones, you know, short affairs and long standing friendships or relationships, like that to me is what really is significant and compelling and like interesting and gives context to, to new relationships that we see characters experience. So the sort of one, like she had nothing and then Steve, you know, that's, I guess, like, I don't know, two dimensionally compelling. But I think, um, again, being able to like get different things from different people at different times to revisit them, for them to change over, you know, that's just so much more interesting. There is a different story to be told about a person who is raised in isolation and meets another person from outside <laughs> and yeah and they fall in love and 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 now we have to and then you can go for miles from there because that literature is full of that you know they i i stay with you and we live together here i you and i must escape your your gilded yeah. prison i mean there's any number of ways to chase them but with diana and what diana goes on to do in the larger dc universe it undermines mm-hmm. the character fatally if her reason for leaving home yeah. is because she fell in love <laughs> with a guy. She, because if she does yes. that, it's not a sacrifice. And this goes to origin stories. And one of the things that we really wanted to hit this last year, which is it's easy to look at characters uh, like Batman and Superman and see their sacrifice. Uh, Batman's obvious. He Batman is on literally the most obvious night. hero with a sacrifice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Superman, arguably less so, but it's still there. But with Diana, over the years, I think we have lost that that element of sacrifice. And one of the because that right. element of sacrifice was paradise, which is she hard to conceive of to begin paradise. with. Like, you know, we can't wrap our head around that sacrifice. And if she can go back home, then whenever she wants. Right. Then it's just a compromise. Then it's not a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mild inconvenience. She she needs to leave her home with the full belief that she will never see it again. And that means she will never see her mother again. She will never see her friends again. She will never see the people that she has been lovers with or to again. She will never eat that food, taste that wine. She will never hear that music. She will never sleep in those beds. All of it's gone. It's gone when she leaves. And she has to turn into that willingly and, frankly, without hesitation. That grants her, I think, a heroism that to a great many people. That's something that really struck me from the the rebirth issues um, is that there isn't a whole lot of her pondering what to do. You know, it it really, at least the first issue to me, seems like uh, she 
it sees the situation and acts and there's emotion about it. Perhaps, you know, there's, there's reflection afterward, but there isn't a whole lot of like, you know, being tormented and, and wondering what the right move is. Like she kind of knows there's no Batman. <laughs> there's no Batman. Yeah. You know, her angst is in a different place. And I think if you want to grant her the sacrifice, then the, the sacrifice has to have teeth. And that means that there have to be nights you know, when she's sitting, you know, uh, awake in her apartment or whatnot, watching the snowfall, you know, and mm-hmm. going, I really miss home. I wish I could call my mom. And I feel like to a lot of people that sacrifice feels much more personal. And I know that's what makes me really relate to Wonder Woman a lot more than I would to Superman or to Batman or to the Flash. It's just that emotional connection and missing people in your life who are important to you and knowing you can't always go back to them. Yeah. Yeah. And paradise is so personal too. Like you can walk away from, from your paradise and into a situation that might objectively seem better or from the outside seem better. But especially when paradise is defined by like relationships and your personal like memory and taste and, and, you know, the things that you like and, and your comforts, um, it's, uh, I don't know, everyone can do that at some point, can walk away, whereas not everybody can be ejected from, like, a home planet, you know, and, and crash here on yes. Earth. Well, and, and it goes to the universality, right? If we, if, if, if on the one side, if, if, if the argument, part of the argument for saying, look, let's just, let's, let's stop playing around, let's admit that the culture is a queer culture. Um, if, if part of what you get out of that is the connection with Diana, that is the connection we've all had. We've all known what it's like to look at somebody longingly, you know, we've all, we've all run that emotional gamut. Then you get the converse, which is, we all know what it's like to be alone. And we all know what it's like to say goodbye. And almost all of us, I would hazard have had to say goodbye to somebody forever. Um, be it by a death or, into space and time, you know, that is, that is universal to it. Like I say, I, I, my, my, my hackles tend to raise when, um, when I hear, and, and you hear it a lot with Superman too, these characters get dismissed because quote, it's too easy for them, or they are quote unquote unrelatable. And if, you know, if, if they're unrelatable, that's a failing in my writing. That's not a failing in the character. That's a failure in the storyteller or in the storyteller, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, uh, that that was excellent. Um, I I don't really think I have any other questions for you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, I have never heard someone talk about that sort of mythology and just comic books in general as eloquently as you do. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I would, uh, yeah, just love to you know, thank you again. I'm sure you get this all the time, but as a you know queer lady who has always felt kind of alienated from comic books, Wonder Woman was my entrance to it. So uh, thank you for you know talking about the thing that we all know and love anyway. Well, you are very welcome. You know, one of the things that makes Diana so wonderful is that she's there for so many people. She is one of the most inclusive characters that I think has ever been created. She, she, she is there for everybody. Um, and in particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to people of all sexual identity. Um, you know, the number of trans people I know who see her as an anchor character. 
Um, so it was, you know, when I was, when, when it was funny when, when the interview came and I was asked, and the whole interview was about this. We knew this was going to be the question. Mm-hmm. And, and it is significant, I think, that DC said, and you are going to do this. They didn't say, no, you can't. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it is it is vital to understand that they were willing. And and on one level, and in the main, I don't tend to have a lot of sympathy for this, but bearing in mind, it's a, it's a you're talking about an aspect of a major character who is leading a feature film for a multi-billion dollar corporation. And the corporation cares about one thing and one thing only, and it isn't. Yeah, they don't don't give a rat's ass about addressing social inequity. If they can, they'll be happy to do it. They're not not callow, Mm -hmm. but the agenda is always first and foremost, the movie's gotta do well. There's a lot of stuff built up in it. So they were willing to, to drill down and do it, uh, I will always applaud them for it because there was a time when they wouldn't and you can't Marvel still won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, but, it, you know, as, as we've said it, as, as you pointed out, it was simply saying what we knew. You know, yeah, all yeah. Along. It wasn't headline news except to people who wanted to make it headline news. To the rest of us, it was like, uh-huh, thank you. Yeah, you read one fact about the, the, the writer's origins and you're like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. <laughs> you just needed that one person to say it and we really appreciate that yeah. you were the one who said it. Yeah, and like, and like that's what allies are for, you know? Well, and that's, that's the crucial thing because at the same time that, you know, I fully, fully acknowledge that I'm not, I did not say anything we didn't already know, mm-hmm. but the fact that we finally said it matters, it matters. enormously. Yeah. You know, the visibility matters. Um, you know, I, 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 I know that too well. One wants to be able to see oneself in, in these stories. It's always true. And that's what we try to do with our mythology. We try to bring a little bit more of ourselves into stories that people told themselves. Right, exactly. From a, whatever it is, a queer perspective, a feminist perspective, from just living in 2017, you know, looking at these stories that matter a lot to people still. Um, so so thank you for, uh, for giving your voice to our reading of, of this amazing mythological universe. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Spirits was created by Julia Shafini and me, Amanda McLaughlin. It's edited by Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Subscribe to Spirits on your preferred podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr at Spirits Podcast. On our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, you can sign up for exclusive content like behind-the-scenes photos, audio extras, director's commentary, blooper reels, and beautiful recipe cards with custom drink and snack pairings. If you like the show, please share with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.